0: Hey, friends, this is Margaret Araneta, producer at 180, coming to you with bonus content today with Salvation Army Lieutenant Karen Felton. Karen, it was so great to hear your amazing story of transformation. Just wow, Karen. Well, thanks for having me. (laughs) Sure. Thanks for sharing it on 180. And folks, if you haven't heard Karen's Coming to Jesus story yet, make sure you listen to it. You're not going to want to miss the magical corned beef story of Karen's (laughs) life. Yeah. I still love corned beef. (laughs) Yeah, I love it now. Karen, we thought after hearing your story, we wouldn't be the only ones who wanted to know more about the Salvation Army. So that's why we're here today. Yeah. And if I, yeah, if I were Ryan right now, I'd make this next part a little dramatic. So friends, you might know the Salvation Army as the bell ringers outside your local Walmart, but did you know they're saving lives and spreading the love of Jesus too?
1: Hey, you're hired for our next promo.
0: <laughs> Thanks for being
1: here, Karen. Yeah, I love talking about the Salvation Army.
0: Great. Well, we want to hear it. I think a lot of our listeners either need a refresher course on the Salvation Army or a lot of them, I think, haven't ever heard of the Salvation Army because they're younger. And yeah, they probably haven't heard of it. So just tell us what the Salvation Army is. Sure.
1: So I'll give you a Just a little cliff notes of the history of Salvation Army. It was started in 1865 in London, and it was actually started by a man named William Booth and his wife, Catherine. William was a Methodist minister. And at that time, women were not allowed to do any kind of preaching or teaching in the church. And William loved his wife, and his wife was educated and fiery and outspoken And she went to her husband and said, I just really feel like God is calling me and that I should be able to preach, too. And God has given me a message. And so they went to the gathering of all the Methodist leaders and William presented this idea and he was shouted down that that could never be. And so they searched scriptures and prayed and decided that they were going to Break off from the Methodist Church because William really wanted to honor the fact that his wife felt called. He also believed that they needed to be out of the building and in the streets where people needed them the most. So when he started it, he called it a movement. It wasn't a church, it was a movement. It was called the Christian Mission. And then it quickly evolved into the Salvation Army because he believed that there were so many lost souls that you needed a whole army to wage war against sin and corruption that was happening in the world. And he wanted to bring salvation to the streets. So that morphed into the Salvation Army, a whole army of people he envisioned to bring salvation to the world. So it started with them going out on the streets and having open air meetings and preaching the gospel wherever people would listen. One of his big things was during That time in London, a lot of men would get their pay envelopes and then go down to the taverns and get drunk and bring no money home to their wives and families. And the wives would see William Booth and Catherine outside and they would share with them that their kids were going hungry because their husbands were drinking up their pay envelope. And then he would say, you know, your wife has come. He would talk to them in the bar and say... We mm-hmm. need to get you sobered up and you need to take care of your children. And then he would say, are you willing to come and get sobered up? So he wouldn't like drag people out. But so, And so William and his entourage would go into the taverns and pull people out of the taverns and get them sober. And here's a little known fact that that saying that people have when an alcoholic gets sober and then drinks again, they say they fell off the wagon. That actually comes from the Salvation Army because William Booth had a horse-drawn wagon that he would go pick people up, take them out of the bar, and throw them onto his wagon. Um, And sometimes on the way, because London was run down and full of potholes, they would hit a bump and they would say, Oh, old William lost one off the wagon. (laughs) So when you're not staying sober, you fell off the wagon. But he would take them and sober them up, feed them, and then preach the gospel to them. And all of the original people that started the Salvation Army were these people that he had pulled out of bars and sobered up and preached the gospel to, and they had gotten saved. And so he literally started his movement with a bunch of recovering alcoholics, which I think is just amazing. A big philosophy of the Salvation Army was to go into each community and see what as he would call it, the social ill was at the time. And then whatever the social ill was, the Salvation Army would try to come to the aid of what was happening. His first slogan for the Salvation Army was soup, soap, and salvation, because he believed that you can't meet people and just preach the gospel. If somebody's hungry, if somebody has a physical need, they're not going to hear any gospel that you're going to preach. So he believed you have to fill their bellies, give them a shower, help them with whatever is going on in their life, and then you preach the gospel. And so that's why still today, that's what we still do is soup, soap, and salvation. But whatever it is that the need is at that time is what we try to fill. And then we talk to people about Jesus. The movement came over to the United States, and one of the first things they did is work on some child labor issues that were happening. Um, It was the early 1900s, and there was all of these matchstick factories, and what was happening is that they were being made with sulfur, and the factories were burning down, or people were being poisoned with the sulfur, and they were also using children as labor and not paying them well, so the Salvation Army created their own matchstick factory and had safe working environment and paid a fair wage and put the other matchstick factories out of business so he he literally would just go into each community and see what was happening and what needed doing and they were so unafraid to do it he was so considered such a rebel He did not fit into any prescribed understanding of what a religious movement was at the time because it was truly about helping people. The Salvation Army is probably in the older generation most known for their help during World War II. They sent these women who were called the Hallelujah Lassies. (laughs) They would go. They went over to the front lines during World War II, and they would have these tents on the front lines, and they would take care of the soldiers. They made them donuts. They would make coffee. They would roll cigarettes for the men, and the Hmm. men would come, and they called them the Salvation Army Donut Girls, and they would come and get some donuts and coffee and just have some rest, and the women would pray with them and they would go back out to fight. And a lot of World War II veterans are probably one of our biggest supporters. And we're aging out of that group now, which is sad, but they all remember having those donuts and they would say it was like a taste from home. And those women were just like the most fearless women to go out on the front lines. When I found out about that, I just admired that so much. So over time, the Salvation Army grew and grew and grew to its In almost every country now in the world, and definitely in every state in the United States, but I think we're up to like 300 and something countries. Every major city definitely has a Salvation Army, and even some small towns. And just like in the beginning, every single Salvation Army has its own particular population that they serve because not every community needs the same thing. So the philosophy of Going into a community and seeing what they need is still the same. Okay. So
0: take us to your Salvation Army. The one, what town are you in, Karen? Um,
1: right now we're in Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas we, City. So Salvation Army officers are also pastors. You go through two years of seminary, you become ordained and become a lieutenant, and you're assigned to a location. The saying is you salute and go. Because we believe that wherever they send us, that's God's will for where he wants us to be. Whatever social services there, you're the person in charge of it. So in Kansas City, we actually have a huge campus. This is the biggest place my husband, my husband's been an officer for 36 years. This is definitely the biggest location. He said he's been at We have three separate buildings. It kind of looks like a little college campus here. This building I'm in right now is called our Emergency Assistance Building. So any short-term social service happens in my building. We have a food pantry. We do emergency assistance if people get behind on their rent. If people are at risk for having their lights or their water switched off, they can come and get help. We have a lot of COVID relief money so if people have experienced some kind of financial hardship due to COVID, we have all kinds of resources right now. and we also have an awesome program called Pathway of Hope. So if we see somebody coming in over and over and asking for emergency assistance, we share with them about Pathway of Hope and ask them if they would like to be a part of that program. It's a pretty intensive program. The client can work with a case manager for up to 2 years and They walk through client centered goals. So a lot of people get into the cycle of poverty. It's generational and they don't know how to get out or there's obstacles in the way of them not getting out. So many things that we see over and over again in this cycle of poverty. And so the pathway of hope caseworker will work with them to set goals on how to overcome those obstacles. And then it's almost like having a life coach. They walk through the process with them over. Time nice until they until they achieve um, financial self sustainability. So the goal is that we want to always be working ourselves out of a job with each client that comes in the door. We don't want to create another system that just creates dependency on us. We want to be able to help people to self direct and transform their lives and to know that it's possible that where they are now is not where they have to be. and so we see huge success with that because often people go for help and they might get a check for their landlord and then that's it. But then they're still in the same situation that got them there in the first place. And so we believe that there's dignity that comes when you can take care of yourself. And so we want to help people to remember that dignity that they have within themselves that they've been given from their creator that he never intended us to live that way, that he's given us so many gifts in each of us. He has a purpose and plan. And sometimes in the midst of survival, we forget that we have a purpose and a plan. So it's to help them to remember what that is or to learn or to even discover that there is a purpose and a plan. We've seen some pretty amazing success stories. So that that's mostly what happens in my building. So we have an after-school program for the kids that live in the housing That's right around us. So they do sports, but they also do mentorship and Bible study and discipleship. It's really just a safe place for them to be and to have people that can pour into their life. Then we have a transitional housing program for people who have been experiencing homelessness. We have a homeless veterans program, and that's funded through the VA, the Veterans Administration, and our veterans can stay with us for two years. And we try to help them achieve self-sustainability, get them an apartment. And hopefully if they can work, if not, then just how to budget, you know, just learning all those skills that they need to be successful once we find them apartments. We also have a reentry program for people who have been in prison for a long time. What happens is they have to be referred to by their parole or probation officer. And the parole or probation officer will ask them if they feel ready just to go out if they have a post-release plan. And if, and if they don't, a lot of them are getting released and say, I don't even have anywhere to live. And so there's a couple different programs they can choose from. And so they'll ask them. A lot of it depends on where they're paroled to or if they're going to be on probation and they have to stay in Kansas City, Kansas but they have nowhere to live, then they'll offer them our program. So every part of our program is voluntary. People get institutionalized. And then if they've served their whole time, they just get released with no kind of planning for what happens once they go. And so what happens is people experience shell shock because they've been very closely controlled. Every moment of their day is scheduled. And now all of a sudden they have all this freedom and they don't have any way to support themselves. And that's why recidivism back into prison is so high. They can come into our program and also be here for two years and just kind of slowly re enter the world. And then we just walk alongside of them as they reconnect with family, as they find jobs, as we try to come up with a plan for saving money. We set them up for success. And then we have a program called Artists Helping the Homeless. And this was a program that was created by a local artist who saw people suffering. He wondered what happened if somebody who was homeless got sick. And so homeless who have been admitted to the hospital for care, he goes and picks up and he will bring them to us so that they can stay for a short term. It's usually 30 to 60 days to recover from whatever they were in the hospital for. And then we also we do also have a drug and alcohol treatment program on campus. Thanks, people. When you work, With the populations that we work with, you can experience compassion fatigue where you hear these horrible stories day in and day out, and then you see people that just go back and keep doing the same things over and over, and it can get discouraging. But I always tell them that, you know you have to continue to see the hope in other people, even when they can't see it in themselves, even when they do the same thing again and again. They're not mandated by anybody to be here. They they made a choice to be here. And so as long as they choose to be here, we're going to believe that they can change. And that's really important to me. My husband and I's word for our campus for 2022 is dignity. We want Hmm. everybody to remember who they are and that they have inherent dignity. And that's from clients, even to staff. Staff doesn't always feel that they have their dignity. And so we want our staff to remember, too, that they have inherent dignity and that their dignity matters to us. So it's that is something that's really important to us, is that everybody is treated with dignity, no matter what they've done.
0: Nice. So I have a question. So you, there's a lot of programs that you offer, the Kansas City Salvation Army Corps. Yeah. You said each corps is different and meets the needs of that local community. Isn't there another corps in another town that's offering different
1: kinds of types of programs that you know about? There are so many. There's um, Some are set up as domestic violence houses, so a safe place for people to be who are fleeing domestic violence. The Salvation Army has a huge branch that works with um, anti-human trafficking, so we help people to get out safely from human trafficking, and then we provide recovery services for the trauma that's happened with human trafficking. We have places that are just specifically to do outreach to those who live in encampments. We have places that only revolve around food. So People who live in food deserts, there might be a Salvation Army that is really focused on food resources and other things to help people that are living in those neighborhoods, especially things like transportation. We have a big program called the Adult Rehabilitation Center. That's a very long term treatment center that you can be there for up to two years. You go from just getting clean and sober to Being employed and really putting your life back together and accumulating two years of recovery so that you're really solid before you leave. And a lot of people don't know that those centers, the clients who go there, don't pay a penny. Those are 100% funded by the thrift stores. So if you ever shop at a thrift store, every single person working in there has come through the ARCs, the Adult Rehabilitation Center, and they are now getting paid to work at the store. They're building their resume and all of the money that you spend there goes to give them this treatment for free. So that's huge. So uh,
0: about thrifting, that's very popular with a lot of kids. So how do they know that a thrift store is Salvation Army? And where do you find Salvation Army thrift stores?
1: Man, they're everywhere. You just, if you Google Salvation Army thrift store, you'll, there's one pretty much everywhere I go. I try to check them out. So. I haven't found a city without one. I mean, you'll know it because it has our big red shield on it. And I also tell people, I know a lot of people donate to different thrift stores, but if you go to like Better Business Bureaus or any of those places that fact check not for profits, our thrift stores are truly one of the few that all of the profits go to fund our program. So nobody's making hand over fist in money. From our thrift stores, when they were shut down during COVID, it was very scary for those programs because some of them were on the brink of shutting down because that truly is where all their funding comes from. And the reason that they do that is because they do not take any government funding. Okay. So I had another question. We
0: mentioned the church. So each Salvation Army Corps is also
1: a church. Can you explain that? Yeah. So because William Booth was a minister, that was very important to him that it would not just be a movement about social justice, but also about people's salvation. He wanted to win souls for heaven, that big rallying cry. And so every single Salvation Army location also has a church attached to it. So if you ever go to a Salvation Army food pantry, I guarantee there's a church. But They're very different kind of churches because we truly do welcome absolutely anybody. They're just there to worship together. Our big philosophy is to meet people where they're at. And so it's, as a pastor, it's a little more tricky because when I preach or my husband preaches, we have to know we're preaching to people who are lifetime believers and people who are brand new believers and everything in between. We've had a people who have been told they're not welcome in church. People are told that they can't come to church like they are and other things. They will come and say they've never been welcome at our church. They're like, nobody looked at me sideways. And just those simple things for somebody to be able to walk in and feel comfortable as they are is really, to me, the most important thing because When somebody doesn't feel welcome in church, in their mind, they equate that God is not welcoming them or God doesn't want them. And I think that we can do so much damage as a church body when we don't make people feel welcome. One of the girls who came, who was a Wiccan, just sat and cried and cried and cried after church. And she said, you know, sometimes I think that I chose what I believe because I really believe that God could never love me. And she said, you're the first person that made me believe that God might actually be able to love me. And so that, to me, is the best thing that I could ever hear, that that something that we might have said during the service made them feel that it is possible that God might even love me. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. amazing. Yes,
0: really nice. So it's not so the people that are going through the programs at Salvation
1: Army, do they go to church while they're in the programs if they want? Yeah, we invite them. They don't have to. We don't want it to be a requirement because we believe that you can't have love if there's no freedom. So I just every week make a little peppy announcement and say church is going to start in 15 minutes. If anybody wants to come, everybody's welcome. And if you feel like you don't have the right thing to wear to church, come anyway <laughs> or something i say nice. something every weekend yesterday we had so many people from the programs come and it was such a great sunday and people we had quite a few people that said this is my first time ever in church <laughs> i was wow. just i i just love that so and the people that are like lifetime believers because they've made it a choice to come to the salvation army they're just there to love on people and to encourage them and if somebody shows interest in becoming Christian, those are the people that are going to walk alongside of them without judgment. And so I'm so grateful for our entire church body. So it's a really cool
0: model that you have church along with the ministry that you offer. How is the gospel part of Sunday and Jesus with skin on during the the ministry things, or is yes. there... Is there gospel during
1: the ministry parts, too? So during the week, they there's always options on campus for them to participate. And like we have a Wednesday night Bible study and they're all invited to come if they want to come. We have on Tuesday night, we have women's ministry and men's ministry and they're invited to come. So we make it available. My husband and I make sure that within the first 72 hours of somebody checking in that we get to meet them and tell them that, you know, we're the officers, but we're also pastors. And if they want any kind of spiritual part of their program while they're here, that we're available to them. I always tell them Bibles or journals or devotionals if they want something, but we don't force it. That was definite. That is definitely not the philosophy of the Salvation Army. Where, Well, with your
0: story, that's evident. I yes. Mean, you literally, the pastor sees you walking out and you're back like so yeah. much. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of grace. Exactly. So. <laughs> I
1: had talked to my husband after the podcast and I said, I, I wonder what would have happened if the Salvation Army was the kind of church that said, you know, you need to sober up and get it together if you're going to be part of our church. (laughs) Or if I even Mm -hmm. felt for even one minute that that was what people around me were feeling about me, I probably would have shut the door forever. But the fact that they were just constantly saying, we love you right where you are, even if nothing changed, we would still love you. Mm -hmm. And for them, that is so hard to understand that They can go out and do these things and mess up and we're still going to say we want you to come back and we're going to love you. Even if you don't come back, we're still going to love you. But to me, that's so important that they know that there will always be a door open and somebody to love them. It's hard. It's so hard.
0: About the staff. Yeah. So you have
1: all these services, including rehab. So how do you staff all these things? regular everyday people like I used to be. We hire them. We get our our funding for almost every Salvation Army. Most of their funding comes from the kettles and the bell ringers. And that's why we're always like, please donate to the red kettles because we have to base the bulk of our budget around our kettle, whatever we raise in the kettles. And we do have a lot of grants that we get Like, for instance, all those COVID grants. So when people come for help, we have, you know, pots of money that are from different places like the COVID money. Or we have we do have certain ones from that are like emergency food. Those are governmental grants that we can help. And then like the VA helps us a lot. That's a government agency, but they give us grants to help the veterans. So we have different pools of money that then can be used for us to hire the staff that we need. OK, so give in the red buckets.
0: Yes. At the, where
1: the bell ringers are yes. at Christmas time. Yeah, so if they really need that money. We really do. If you look us up, we're one of the highest rated for if you give a dollar, how much goes to direct services and ours is really high. It's I think we're the top two. It's I think currently we're at 88 for every dollar you give goes directly to our clients. So, as officers, you do not become a Salvation Army officer if you If you want to have a nice savings account or anything (laughs) else, you decide you want to become a Salvation Army officer. You know, basically, you're going to be like a missionary because we make very money. My husband has been an officer for 36 years, and he only makes 50 cents an hour more than I do. And I've been an officer for three years. So um, the general of the Salvation Army, who's the head honcho, makes the same amount of money as my husband does. So... That's why we can have such a good giving record because the people running it are the pastors and we don't get a big salary. So what we do have that is nice, that makes it possible is along the way people have donated or the Salvation Army has been able to purchase at a lower rate houses so that when my husband and I move here, we get whatever house Is here that belongs to this location and you get whatever furniture is there, whatever towels are there, whatever, everything. And so we don't have to pay for housing and you use whatever vehicle is already here. And so that makes it possible for them to not have to pay us very much because we really we don't have to worry about the day in and day out kind of stuff. So what we get is a stipend for food. They really encourage us to take time off because you do get compassion fatigue dealing with such heavy issues. So, my husband and I try to make it a priority to save what we can just to be able to go somewhere twice a year to just get away and decompress. So, yeah, you definitely don't get into this work to get rich. But because of that, we're able to really help people and make money go a long way. And we're very well respected because people know what the Salvation Army does with what they have.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, Karen. This is really helpful. You're welcome. If you want to find more information on the Salvation Army, you can look in our show notes. We'll put links to all the things we talked about. And you can certainly look up the Salvation Army too, SalvationArmy.org. Is it dot org? Yep. 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 SalvationArmy.org. But we will have all those links in our show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Karen. Thanks for having me. Sure. Take care. All right. All right. Bye bye.